Quality sleep is essential, and that's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. So you can choose what's right for you whenever you like. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature. Quiets their snores. Sleep Number does that. Sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on Sleep Number limited edition smart beds for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. Impeachment has reached an impasse. The lead starts right now. President Trump wants a trial right away, but Speaker Pelosi wants to make sure it's fair. Who will blink in the standoff over the Senate impeachment trial? Piling on, Mayor Pete, Democrats clash over a wine cave in the last debate of the year. What has the candidates seeing red as they approach the Iowa caucuses? Plus, a sitting Republican state rep accused of domestic terrorism by taking part in three armed conflicts. There was a time when that kind of thing would end your political career, but these are not normal times. Welcome to The Lead. I'm Brianna Keeler in for Jake Tapper, and we begin with the politics lead. You would think it would be a great gift for President Trump. Speaker Pelosi holding on to the articles of impeachment instead of sending them over to the Senate to begin the formal impeachment trial. But not when the president is looking for total exoneration. As CNN Sarah Murray reports, Speaker Pelosi and Senate Majority Leader Mitch McConnell are now at a stalemate as Congress goes on a holiday break. President Trump's impeachment trial may be officially stalled, but behind the scenes, House Democrats are getting ready. Staff for the key House committees are expected to work over the holiday recess, consulting with Democratic leadership and prepping for a trial as early as the week of January 6th. But that depends on House Speaker Nancy Pelosi, who says she won't send the articles of impeachment to the Senate until parameters for a Senate trial are set. When they wrote the Constitution, uh, they suspected that there could be a rogue president. I don't think they suspected that we could have a rogue president and a rogue leader in the Senate at the same time. In the Senate, Majority Leader Mitch McConnell this afternoon arranged for White House staff to get a lay of the land in the chamber after failing to cut a deal Thursday with Minority Leader Chuck Schumer on the rules for a trial. We remain at an impasse. McConnell argued rules from previous impeachments should suffice. I continue to believe that the unanimous bipartisan precedent that was good enough for President Clinton ought to be good enough for President Trump. Fair is fair. While Schumer pushed for an agreement to include testimony from witnesses, such as former National Security Advisor John Bolton and Acting Chief of Staff Mick Mulvaney. Leader McConnell is plotting the most rushedly thorough and most unfair impeachment trial in modern history. The standoff means lawmakers are leaving Washington with the status of an impeachment trial in limbo until the new year. But if Pelosi's power play was meant to unnerve McConnell, he insists it's backfiring. Other House Democrats seem to be suggesting they'd prefer never to transmit the articles. Now, despite the acrimony between the two parties today, Nancy Pelosi extended an invitation to President Trump to deliver the State of the Union before a joint session of Congress on February 4th. The president, Brianna, has accepted. All right, Sarah Murray, thank you so much. And let's talk about what Pelosi actually wrote in that invitation, shall we? Quote, in their great wisdom, our founders crafted a constitution based on a system of separation of powers, three co-equal branches acting as checks on each other. To ensure that balance of powers, the Constitution calls for the president to, from time to time, give the Congress information of the State of the Union. 
I mean, that just seems, I mean, am I just being too cynical? It seems a little bit like shade to me, would you say, Mel? Yeah, a little, maybe some subtweeting in there. Yeah. Sub, maybe sub that's tweeting. the language Trump mm-hmm. can understand. But look, the timing of this could really be incredible, given that we don't know the timing of the Senate impeachment trial. It could coincide at the same time that Trump delivers his State of the Union address, which actually happened in Bill Clinton's impeachment. But he didn't talk about impeachment, Bill Clinton. He talked about the economy. He talked about Y2K. And you can imagine this president might take a different approach if he's being impeached at the same time. Y2K, yeah, what a blast from the past. <laughs> um, takes you back. You may sort of realize how long ago that was. I mean, if, what would you expect from that, Chairman? It, it, the idea that President Trump, I don't think he'd be able to have that kind of discipline. Do you? Uh, I do not. <laughs> I, I think that he would not be able to contain himself being in the chamber that impeached, uh, impeached Trump. I mean, he would be smart if he would talk about some of the successes and there are some things in the economy are really strong. Seventy-six percent saying that they uh, they're happy where the economy is going is huge in it for any political figure going into an election. Um, and I don't know the pres- if, if the president goes in and doesn't try to highlight those things and talks about impeachment, he continues to kind of shoot himself in the foot as well, he. Has let's been talk about what's going on with impeachment right now. Sungmin Pelosi has said she's not going to hand over these articles of impeachment until she sees that the process on the Senate side is fair. So she either has to extract something from Mitch McConnell, who's very savvy, as we know. Speaker Pelosi's savvy. He's very savvy, right? Um, as I'm not saying one over the other. I'm just saying maybe there's a match there, right? Or she has to cave. Is she in a bit of a box here? Well, it's a puzzling move, to say the least, because if you're, you're trying to put leverage over McConnell by withholding something that he does not want and is totally fine not having. So I think what Democrats were trying to do here, and you kind of saw hints of it yesterday when Senator Lindsey Graham went to the White House and spoke with uh, spoke with President Trump privately. Um, I, I think what Democrats had sort of strategized at the outset was that perhaps hold on to these, delay the trial and delay the acquittal or in the president's view, the exoneration that he so wants from a Senate trial. And while the president was out there very kind of almost mocking Nancy Pelosi and Democrats for their strategy yesterday, I found Graham's comments really interesting when he said, I just left a meeting with President Trump. He is, quote, mad as hell that they would delay this trial. (laughs) So maybe the strategy will work in that sense. So Trump gets angry at McConnell, tries to get him to move. But for now, I'm I'm not sure how this strategy will play out at the end. And I'm not sure it's to Nancy Pelosi's benefit just yet. But to some degree, it's doing what it's intended to do. It's making him crazy. It's making him tweet, tweet even more as if that were possible. And also, I mean, look, it is a very serious matter that you have Mitch McConnell and Lindsey Graham saying they're actually already going to not honor the oath that they're supposed to sign when we start the impeachment process in the Senate. I mean, they are supposed to sign an oath to see that they're impartial. They're going to consider all the evidence. They've both already said we're not doing that. So she is well within her right to say until we can have some assurance that we're going to have something of a fair process, I'm going to hold back and give us some some more leverage. And it's such a contrast to how it was in Clinton's impeachment, where Trent Lott and Tom Daschle we're trying to be statesmen. They had a, they really tried to make it a more thoughtful process in the Senate than it had been in the House. Do you worry, though, that maybe it makes her and House Democrats and Democrats in general look a little partisan, considering she's been talking about being prayerful and she's been talking about how this is solemn yeah. and perhaps this could undercut that a bit? I don't, because, again, when you have Mitch McConnell saying he I mean, he is supposed to be the leader of this process. And he's basically already said, when I sign that oath, I'm a liar. 
because I'm not even going to be impartial. I'm not going to be unbiased. I know what I'm going to do. Lindsey Graham has already said, I know what I'm going to do. And I think that makes them look very petty. The one question I have, too, though, and what Democrats perhaps may need to explain is that they talked about the issue of time. I mean, that was the main reason why they did not litigate the issue of the uh, issues of the subpoenas that were being uh, defied by the administration in the courts. They said the president appears to be a significant danger ahead of the 2020 elections. That's why we have to move expeditiously on this impeachment process. But if you're holding out and um, delaying the trial and delaying kind of that second major part of the impeachment process, uh, that's a question that I think a lot of us have had for the Democratic leadership. It was really interesting, and I'm curious what you think, Chairman, about this Harvard law professor, Noah Feldman, who wrote, quote, if the articles are not transmitted, Trump could legitimately say that he wasn't truly impeached at all. That's because impeachment under the Constitution means the House sending its approved articles uh, to the Senate with House managers standing up in the Senate and saying the president is impeached. And he's an important voice because Democrats in the House had him on their hand-picked panel of constitutional experts who really thought Trump should be impeached. Mm, I'm not buying it. (laughs) (laughs) You're not buying it? You think this is some crazy kind of... That's a stretch for an argument for me. The president was impeached with the vote in the House. Like it or not, love the president, don't like the president, he was impeached in the House. What I see here is that I think it is going to work against the Democrats because that most of the public that's out there wondering, I don't know what to think. That is a cesspool of partisan politics back in Washington, D.C. If the impeachment looks even more political than they think it already has, I think it cuts against the Democrats. And so you have Democrats in tight seats. They're going to have to try to explain why they made their vote. And all the way, by the way, we're playing this political game on trying to frame the, frame the narrative that I want when it goes to the Senate. I just think this is f- uh, fraught with uh, political trouble. I think Schumer talked Pelosi into it over, uh, you know, f- over a conversation, and now they're trying to dig their way out. I don't think this was well thought through on up, behalf of the Democrats. Up next, where President Trump is heading, that has some of his aides worried. Plus, they've got millions of readers and a message for Trump's base. Why President Trump is attacking a major evangelical Christian magazine. We're back with the politics lead. In a matter of hours, President Trump will leave Washington for his Mar-a-Lago resort, where Mr. Trump often hobnobs with friends and outside allies who have tremendous influence over his decision-making. As CNN's Caitlin Collins reports, it's a major point of concern for White House aides. Fresh off impeachment and eager for vindication, President Trump is heading to his private Florida club tonight for a two-week vacation. But his aides are worried he'll have too much time on his hands as his impeachment trial is looming. Sources say the next two weeks will be critical, and there are big decisions about his defense strategy to be made, leading to concern about outside influence on Trump as he dines and golfs with old buddies at Mar-a-Lago. That, as a new report in the Washington Post, sheds light on the outside influence a foreign leader has had on Trump. Former White House officials say they fear Russian President Vladimir Putin led Trump to believe it was Ukraine, not Russia, that interfered in the 2016 election. One ex-aide said Trump explained the baseless theory by saying, quote, Putin told me. Reminding many of this moment when he sided with the Russian leader over his own intelligence agencies. President Putin, uh, he just said it's not Russia. I will say this. I don't see any reason why it would be. 
For now, the president is focused on his impeachment trial and demanding to know when it will be. I just left President Trump. He's mad as hell that they would do this to him and now deny him his day in court. After Trump said it's likely his White House counsel will lead his defense team. Pat's been fantastic as White House counsel. His close ally, Senator Lindsey Graham, advocated for this defense strategy Thursday night. I told him my view was you should treat this like a Supreme Court argument. If I were the president, I'd pick somebody outside the political arena. Now, Brianna, the president is expected to be well-staffed during his trip, at least during the second half of it, when the White House counsel, Pat Cipollone, Jared Kushner, the acting chief of staff, Mick Mulvaney, and the press secretary, among other top aides, are all expected to be on property with the president as he's got these pretty crucial decisions to make before game time. Uh, Indeed. And we'll be watching. Caitlin, thank you so much. Caitlin Collins there on the North Lawn. Let's talk about the president heading out to (laughs) Mar-a-Lago for a couple of weeks. Aides are worried. Should they be? Yeah. What is he going to tweet? Who is he going to be talking to? Who's going to be in his ear? Is he going to make any brash decisions about this upcoming Senate trial? There's still a lot of decisions he hasn't made, especially about his defense team. Is it going to be Pat Cipollone who's leading it? Is Mick Mulvaney going to have a hand? He's also trying to bring in some of his allies in the House to come in and shore up his defense. So clearly he's thinking about this. He wants the most aggressive defense possible, especially because he's probably not going to get the witnesses he wants. (laughs) So there's a lot riding on who he picks for his defense team. And Karen, if you put the shoe on the other foot, if this were a Democratic president, I mean, doesn't he have something to be frustrated about as he goes uh, on vacation, hanging over him, one impeachment, he's in the middle of that. And also there's this sort of stall that's happening with the articles of impeachment. Well, I can put the shoe on the other foot because I did work for Bill Clinton in this period. And this is part of why the strategy of having an outside strategy where you are talking about the economy and you are talking about your accomplishments actually works because while you might be frustrated, you know that you are still making headway on other issues. And at this point, all Trump is really talking about, he should be talking about the deals he got done in the last couple of weeks. All he's talking about is his frustration and anger over impeachment. So he's the one who's defining that narrative for the next couple of weeks. We know certainly where his mind is. Um, Something else that he may or may not be choosing to deal with is that late today we learned that 25 Jewish members of Congress are calling for Trump advisor Stephen Miller to be fired. This is for what they describe as his support for white nationalist and anti-immigrant rhetoric after emails showed that he was promoting those views and organizations allied with those views. The Trump administration claims that it is, in fact, Miller being subjected himself to anti-Semitism. I wonder what, what you think of this, especially as you've seen some of what uh, are in these Miller emails. Yeah, and I think everybody has the right to defend themselves before we get in this era of social media and all of that. You really want to be accurate if that, in fact, is the case. But if it is, there's just no place in the serious levels of government for anti-Semitic activities at, at any level in the government. And, and how and so you, that worries me a lot. When you saw what's in these emails, I mean, so that's just it's to you. It's very clear. Well, I mean, when you read the email, yes, but and I have to tell you, I'm always suspect in this era with the ability to manipulate, you need to make sure it can't be just a social report on what's in an email anymore because people overreact because I think this is really serious. If, if he is actually saying those things and believes those things and is serving in the capacity is in the White House, to me, that's a problem. You can't have it. And so let's make sure that that's accurate. Uh, And if so, then if I were the president, I would make some changes. 
you, can't, you just can't tolerate it. But it certainly follows a pattern. I mean, we know that Stephen Miller has been involved in some of the most outrageous, cruel policies of the Trump administration when it comes to immigration. We know that during the 26th campaign from our own reporting with Sarah Seidner, that he supposedly was running the pol- he was like the political editor of Breitbart. And there was plenty of very inappropriate comments, racist, bigoted, sexist comments. So, sure, let him have his day in court. But I think it's fairly clear he's not someone who should be in any way, shape or form in the White House. Let's talk about a key line that was in the Washington Post report on this push of this Ukraine conspiracy theory about uh, uh, the origins of interference in the election in 2016. One former senior White House official said Trump even stated so explicitly at one point, saying he knew Ukraine was the real culprit because Putin told me. Because Putin told me, Sungmin. It is remarkable reporting from my colleagues there at the Post. I think this is, I mean, we've seen publicly this fixation on the debunk theory that Ukraine had interfered in the 2016 election for some time from the president. And what's really um, noticeable now and is that a lot of his Republican allies in Congress are deflecting attention towards that debunked theory. You've seen an increasing number mm-hmm. of Senate Republicans talk about this, House Republicans. You've had a chairman uh, in the Senate launch investigations and demand documents into Ukraine's, again, the debunk, that debunk theory. And I think as you as the Senate trial heats up, I think you're going to have some Republicans try to deflect to that, um, even when national security officials such as Fiona Hill have said this is absolutely not true. All right. Are Senate Democrats in lockstep on impeachment? We're going to ask one Democratic senator who's facing a tough reelection fight in a ruby red state. With a looming Senate impeachment trial, all eyes are on Democrats in vulnerable states to see if they will risk re-election and vote to remove the president from office or cross party lines and vote against it. Joining me now is Democratic Senator Doug Jones of Alabama. Sir, thanks for joining us. No, my pleasure. Thanks for having me. You've been uh, noncommittal at this point on impeachment. I know you're still, you know, making up your mind, waiting to see what happens. So how are you feeling about the vote? What have you been hearing from your constituents? Well, I think we're a long way from having a vote, Brianna. We, we, we haven't even got the rules of procedure yet. That's what the big news has been the last few days. What is the, what is the Senate going to do? I mean, Senator McConnell is holding back. Uh, he accused Democrats in the House of having an unfair process, but he seems to be wanting to take a playbook and have an unfair process and not a full, fair and complete trial with with witnesses. So, you know, from what I'm doing, I am I'm reading the record uh, from the House. I don't know if we'll have additional record or not, spending a lot of time doing that. And I've got folks uh, calling the office, emailing the office, and it's a little bit both ways, uh, supporting the president, others that want to uh, uh, have the president removed from office. I think it's going to heat up more once we get back in January. And, and uh, we finally, hopefully by then, we'll have some rules and the articles of impeachment will be over and we'll know what we're doing. There are House Democrats in vulnerable districts who voted to impeach in the House, and they say they're okay with risking losing their seat. Uh, if I mean, you're a Democratic senator in Alabama. If your conscience leads you to vote to remove President Trump from office, is that something you're willing to do, uh, knowing that you're going to risk losing your seat? Well, I think my oath of office and my duty to uh, the, the Constitution and the rule of law comes first. And so my conscience is going to be my God. I've got a fair amount of experience prosecuting and defending cases. I'm looking at this record. I'm going back and forth. But at the end of the day, um, you know, we take a second oath to do fair and impartial justice 
according to the Constitution and the laws of the United States. Uh, and that's another reason why I'm looking at this, because if I violate that oath, I violated the oath of office I took as a U.S. senator. I, I am perplexed as to how somebody can now take an oath of office and say they're impartial when they haven't been impartial. They're not going to be, and they've proclaimed that they're not going to be impartial. So my duty and my conscience is going to rest with that oath of office, and that's where I'll stand. Do you really think that senators can say they're impartial, that they really are impartial? Well, I do believe that. I mean, I, I think you're looking at an example of that. I am trying to do what I think is in the best interest of the country. Uh, this is about the future of the presidency. It's about the future of the Congress. It's about the future of the country. Uh, that's a pretty weighty, um, that's pretty weighty on anybody's shoulders. And I think once we get in that, and the solemnity of the uh, occasion is going to really weigh on some people. This is not, should not be a partisan issue. Uh, when, I, when all this first broke, before we left in October, I gave a long speech on the Senate floor about people getting out of their partisan corners. It is not easy to do in the political divide that we're seeing in this country today. But the fact of the matter is, that's what we're, we're in the Senate to do. That's what we're supposed to do. That's what the oath requires. And I think we, what we really need to be focusing on is a process that's going to give the president of the United States a full trial, fair trial. He has been waiting, as he said, over and over and over again for a fair trial in the U.S. Senate. But that fair trial has also got to be fair to the American public and not have gaps in the evidence. You can still convict or find somebody not guilty with gaps in the evidence. But the fact is we need to know all of the evidence. We need to know from the people there, firsthand knowledge, the people that were in the room that can tell us one way or another, because all these facts are coming out sooner or later, whether they get leaked out or whether they get foiled or whether they're coming out in, in a book by one of those one of those guys. To, to your point about getting out of your partisan corner, in the middle of this divisive impeachment, it might really surprise a lot of people to realize that the president is signing the defense authorization bill today and it has a bipartisan fix to the kitty tax and the widow's tax, which are penalties on Gold yeah. Star families and the benefits that they receive for the loss of their service member loved ones. You spearheaded this effort with Republican Senator Susan Collins. And in order to get this, uh, Congress had to reach a deal on a lot of issues the Democrats and Republicans right. don't agree on. Why can't there be more of this? Well, I think there is a lot more going on than, than what people see. I think if you just look at what's happened in the last two weeks with the NDAA, there's a lot of things. There is the paid parental leave in the NDAA. There's modernizing the military. There's a 3.1% pay raise for our military families. We've also did the Future Act where we permanently fund HBCUs and minority serving institutions. There was a deal reached on USMCA where the president did a, a great job of negotiating that and Democrats in the House made it even better. There's a lot of that that really goes on. It just kind of gets lost in the shuffle uh, of mainstream media as well as social media that we talk about the partisan divide. But the fact is, there are a lot of people reaching across the aisle right now to try to figure out the ways to get things done for this country. And I think if you just look at what happened in the last two weeks, aside from impeachment, there was a lot of great things for the American people. Senator Doug Jones of Alabama, thank you for joining us. My pleasure. Thank you for having me. Smaller stage, bigger fights. Why a battle over a wine cave took center stage in the Democratic debate. 44 billionaires. Pete, on the other hand. Mayor Pete Buttigieg taking some heat as a top-tier candidate in 2019's final debate, and understandably so, because polls show him with a good shot at winning Iowa. But as CNN's Jeff Zeleny reports, another frontrunner wants to box him out as the Democratic candidate to take on President Trump. 
The six-week sprint to the first votes of the 2020 campaign is on, with Joe Biden all smiles today after emerging unscathed from the final debate of the year. I do worry about this uh, notion that uh, the Democratic candidates spend a lot of time attacking one another. Uh, I've tried not to do that. The field of Democratic candidates fanning out for one last burst of campaigning before the holidays, with Amy Klobuchar opening a 27-county bus tour of Iowa, where Pete Buttigieg is heading this weekend. Today, their debate clash still reverberating, after Klobuchar aggressively challenged the qualifications of the 37-year-old South Bend mayor. I have not denigrated your experience as a local official. I have been one. You actually did denigrate my experience, Senator, and I was going to let it go because we got bigger fish to fry here. But you implied oh, I don't that think we have bigger fish to fry than picking a president of the United States. Buttigieg also coming under fire from Elizabeth Warren, who repeatedly questioned his fundraising practices, including a recent Napa Valley event. Billionaires in wine caves should not pick the next president of the United States. Mr. Buttigieg responding that he welcomes most donations because... According to Forbes magazine, I am the, literally the only person on this stage who's not a millionaire or a billionaire. A night of fireworks on stage did little to settle one of the biggest questions weighing on Democratic voters. Does a moderate or progressive stand the best chance of defeating President Trump? That divide is front and center on health care. I've added to the Obamacare plan the Biden initiative which is a public option, Medicare, if you want to have Medicare. Put your hand down for a second, Bernie, okay? Just waving to you, Joe. I know, I know. It was the smallest debate lineup of the year, just seven candidates, offering a far different view of a field that was once the most diverse in history. It's both an honor and disappointment to be the lone candidate of color on the stage tonight. I miss Kamala, I miss Corey, though I think Corey will be back. Now, speaking of Cory Booker, he is campaigning in Iowa. He picked up an endorsement of a local county chairman. He said he is going to go all the way until those Iowa caucuses. Brianna, now they're just 45 days from starting this campaign. Ooh, it's finally getting close. Jeff Zeleny, thank you so much from sunny L.A. All right, let's let's talk about Joe Biden. Okay, he was largely gaff-free. He pushed back on candidates who came after his record. Do you think the debate practice here, Melanie, has paid off for him? Maybe, finally. Look, Biden, no question, had the strongest debate performance we've seen. I think he largely benefited, though, from the fact that you had Warren and Amy Klobuchar going after Pete Buttigieg. So he was really able to sort of sit back um, and avoid a lot of the incoming fire. And he, he repeated a theme, right? He repeated a theme that he's hammered home. We saw him do this last night. The last few months are proof that he can work across the aisle to get things done. Let's watch. If anybody has reason to uh, not want to work with Republicans, starting with Trump and working the way down to some of the members of the House and, and the Senate, it's me. This is about a president has to not only uh, be able to uh, um, fight back, a president has to be able to unite. So on one hand, just looking at the dynamics, chairman of this, he, he's talking about being a uniter, but he also has to beat Trump. And that's incredibly important to Democratic voters. Does it make sense that he can do both, do you think? I think he can. Listen, I, I, when I was chairman of the Intelligence Committee, I worked with Joe Biden quite a bit on pretty significant issues, Syria, other things, policy. Some we agreed on, some we didn't. But he's easy to work with in that environment. Um, and so I do think that's a strength. And I think that's probably why he's doing as well, even after this much time. He's kind of defied the odds. A candidate that's out front doesn't normally last out front this long. 
And so I think that's a strength going into it. And he is very different from the other direction of the of the Democrat Party. And I think Peggy Noonan said it best. You can't beat Trump with crazy. Uh, and I think that was her way of saying, hey, you know, you're going to have to Democrats. If you want to be Trump, you have to pick somebody who does know how to work, uh, who has the experience and who is more centrist in his ability to kind of govern the country. You know, but even though Biden has said, I'm willing to work with Republicans, even though they're coming after me, the question is, will Republicans be willing to work with him? You know, he is the source of this impeachment fight right now. You have a lot of Republican people in the House and in the Senate who are going after him and his son. And you could see that if he becomes president, Republicans would probably be calling to investigate him and his son over all this Ukraine matter. I think they might, but at the same time, he would be the president. So it would be in their political interests to work with him. I mean, let's remember that Mitch McConnell's got a few tough races that he's looking out for as well. So and we don't yet know how the Senate is, is going to play out. The thing that Biden has done well, as you said, defeat, defy the odds, but also he has stood up. He and his son have both stood up to the criticism. His campaign has actually done a very good job keeping him atop of the polls. And that's part of the test in a primary as well, by the way. Whoever becomes the nominee, I'm here to tell you, get ready because it is going to be a daily barrage like nothing you have ever seen. So the candidate has to be tough, and I think he's actually shown durability, but the campaign has to be able to withstand it as well. Sungmin, he did benefit, as Melanie said, from Senators Warren and Klobuchar going after Pete Buttigieg last night. They're trying to make him not a guy of the people, but someone who's taking these uh, big dollar donations, doesn't have enough experience. Do you see, uh, 45 days out from Iowa, do you see that being something that sticks? Is that something that resonates and will be bad for him? It'll be interesting to see what, how much that ends up sticking. And remember that Pete Buttigieg will have one advantage over the two senators who attacked him last night. He gets the chance, he gets a lot of time and a lot of chance to campaign in Iowa while Senators Warren and Senators Klobuchar will be stuck in Washington right. for that Senate impeachment trial. So he can directly make that case to the voters that he is electable, that he has a policy vision that, um, that is reflective of, of, of the Democratic Party. I just find, um, I found Klobuchar really interesting last night, too, as well, because she consistently does have great debate performances, but she's still kind of stuck in that middle slash lower tier. I think she's constantly looking for that breakout moment, and Iowa is key, but again, she's going to be stuck in Washington for that Senate impeachment trial. Well, here's something you don't see every day. President Trump attacking a popular evangelical publication, and the reason that it's, it's calling for Trump to be removed from office next. The president, in a new fight with an evangelical magazine founded by the Reverend Billy Graham, the editor of Christianity Today, publicly saying that President Trump should be removed from office. question is, when does his behavior, which is described as immoral accurately, rise to the level where he's no longer uh, fit to serve office? And to me, we cross that line with the impeachment hearings. The president firing back at the publication on Twitter, calling it a far left magazine or very progressive. Well, we should point out it's not. It's not those things. This is actually a centrist evangelical publication. Is this going to win over any evangelicals, do you think, Sungmin? Um, it depends. I mean, clearly it is a very influential publication within the evangelical world. But the president throughout his presidency and even during the campaign has had a very tight 
grip on the evangelical vote. You had exit polls showing 80 percent of white evangelicals back Trump in, in the 2016 elections. You have a recent uh, Marist poll saying he has the support about 70. He has the approval of 75 percent of evangelicals approve of him, whereas it's hovering in the low 40s overall. Um, evangelical voters have largely looked to, if not the behavior, the policies of this, this administration. And what we saw from the campaign statement that was released just by the Trump campaign on this editorial, they've emphasized the president's support for Israel, his support for judges uh, who, who um, uphold religious liberty, his abortion policies. And I think for now, those policies are the ones that that uh, section of voters have looked for. And here, look, here's a campaign statement that we just had up. Uh, this is something that the president is, is tweeting about a ton. The son of the late Billy Graham slammed the magazine. Now the campaign sending out this statement. Uh, I, I wonder how much this shows you about how nervous they are about this, Melanie, especially because they're trying to get the backing of Graham family members mm -hmm. here, including with that statement. Mm -hmm. And this was a key voting block for Trump. This is a key part of his coalition. He needs to hold on to them to be able to win re-election in 2020. But the fact that you have Graham's family members coming out and rallying behind him, I think, shows how strong the support is. And if the evangelicals didn't leave Trump after the Syria decision where they pulled out and left our Kurdish allies to be slaughtered, if they didn't flee him after the Access Hollywood tapes, after all these things, I don't think this editorial is going to do very much. But I think that's much. exactly the point. I think part of the point, as a Christian, part of the point of, of the piece was to say, enough is enough. There's enough, it, And they've got the judges, right? So there's, to some degree, that's what he campaigned on in 2016. They've gotten their judges. And maybe the point is that the constant immoral behavior in addition to all the other tenets of Christianity, you know, welcoming the stranger, being good stewards of the earth, which have all been thrown out the window, enough is enough. You cannot lead this country and offer moral leadership when you lie every day, all the time, and you behave the way he does. Maybe that's the point. Yeah, we're, we're well into his presidency at this point. You were referring to that. Mm -hmm. And the magazine addressed why they did this now. Here's what they wrote. We have reserved judgment on Mr. Trump for years now. Some have criti uh, criticized us for our reserve. It's time to call a spade a spade. We are playing with a stacked deck of gross immorality and ethical incompetence. Uh, what do you think about what do you think about the timing of this? I, well, I'm not sure about the timing, but this is a crack uh, the first real crack that I've seen because that coalition is so important. And when I was uh, in office, I had a pretty simple rule. You know, people can disagree with your policy as long as you're engaged. You talk to them when you embarrass the people that vote for you. That is a different game. And I think what happened over time, it was getting harder and harder. And I'm not talking about the policy issues, even impeachment necessarily. It was when you attack people, you know, using the power of the presidency to attack individuals so viciously and personally, over time, that is just not what Christians uh, will accept as good behavior. And I think that loss of that, he didn't grow into the office. He kind of double down on what got him there. And I think that's what you're seeing in that article is some confusion, some disappointment, and some of these folks saying, maybe, maybe we need to rethink this. It's not that he can't get over this, but I do think it's a crack that they're going to have to pay attention to. Coming up, a Republican state rep accused of domestic terrorism, the Trump-like defense he's using as he refuses to resign. In our national lead, if impeachment wasn't enough to convince you how divisive and divided politics has become, a Washington state Republican lawmaker is accused of domestic terrorism. As CNN's Sarah Seidner reports, he's refusing to resign and he's using President Trump's impeachment tactics as his defense. 
Thank you, Madam Speaker. Uh, this just seeks to put this to a vote of the people. In a stunning finding, this Washington state Republican lawmaker is facing accusations of domestic terrorism against the country he swore to serve. That's according to an investigation commissioned by the Washington state legislature. Article 1 is adopted. And the state rep is using President Trump's impeachment as part of his defense. The state has now forwarded the report against State House Representative Matt Shea to the FBI and U.S. Attorney. The five-month-long probe found Shea participated in an act of domestic terrorism against the United States, engaged in and supported the training of youth and young adults to fight a holy war, and advocated the replacement of U.S. democracy with a theocracy and the killing of all males who do not agree. The investigation also cited Shea's engagements with the Bundy family, anti-government activists who call for armed resistance in the takeover of federal lands. The report lists Shea's militant actions across three states, in 2014 in Bunkerville, Nevada, in 2015 in Priest River, Idaho, and in January 2016 in Burns, Oregon. Shea engaged with militia members in the planning of an armed takeover of the Malheur National Wildlife Refuge. That incident ended with federal and state law enforcement moving in to remove armed militia members and ultimately killing militia member Robert Lavoie Finnicum after a police chase. Last night, Shea defended himself in a statement on Facebook saying in part, like we are seeing with our president, this is a sham investigation. He added, I will not back down. I will not give in. I will not resign. So House Republican leadership has suspended Representative Shea from the caucus and removes his ranking position on a key committee. The Republicans saying and noting that investigators uh, mentioned that he didn't respond to their request for an interview for their report. He also did not return CNN's calls. Brianna. Sarah Seidner, thank you so much for that report. And be sure to tune in this Sunday morning for State of the Union. The guests, 2020 Democratic presidential candidate Senator Amy Klobuchar, Republican Senator Roy Blunt, and Democratic Senator Dick Durbin. That is at 9 a.m. and 12 p.m. Eastern on Sunday. And our coverage on CNN continues right now. When you work, you work next level. When you play, you play next level. And when it's time to sleep, Sleep Number smart beds are designed to embrace your uniqueness, providing you with high-quality sleep every night. Sleep next level. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, the Queen Sleep Number C4 smart bed is only $1,599. Save $300 for a limited time, only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. Prices higher in Alaska and Hawaii. Quality sleep is essential, and that's why the Sleep Number smart bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. So you can choose what's right for you whenever you like. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature. Quiets their snores. Sleep Number does that. Sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on Sleep Number limited edition smart beds for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com.